You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. And here we are. Dr. Esteban Marconi is with me, and I'm your professor, David Kirk. Phil. That is I. Emeritus, how are you today? Good. How are you? I don't think I've ever been better, which is sort of lame. Good. Joe's kind of been in my life. We have a huge panel tonight. It's better than the wood paneling on the side of a Volkswagen station wagon which is redundant. But yes, we have a lot of people. Um, before we talk about the panel, should we give thanks real quick? Sure, let's give thanks. We need to give thanks. Uh, everybody close your eyes, bow your heads. Uh, tonight we are giving thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your and, business management. Go to VB. And Zach Brown as of yesterday. He signed the Zach Brown band or just Zach Brown? Yes. Very, very good. Because he had Dave Matthews, but he doesn't have the Dave Matthews band. So ah. not that good, I guess. So, okay. So go to VB CPA.com when you are ready. And we want to give thanks to the folks. Actually, Christine Vey. Christine Vey, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group, F O U R. Christine has helped many professionals at the University of William Patterson and all over the world, managed our investments plan out for the retirement. When you are thinking of building a bridge to your financial future, think about the Forefront Group and go to christine.oyvey at forefront.com. Finally. Leave the last oil off for savings. And nobody would ask you to do anything other than that. Make sure you follow us on the Facebook, the Instagram, the uh, Twitter, at MusicBiz101WP. Sign up for our website at, I'm sorry, sign up for our newsletter at the website MusicBiz101WP. And of course, most of you will be listening to this in the podcast on iTunes and the SoundCloud machine. Managing your band, 7th edition, Marconi. Is it coming? Is it coming? Is it coming? We were sent there. All we need to do is sign on the dotted line. If it's no dots, we can't sign. There we go. So um, let us tell our listeners real quick who we have. So we have a panel. This is brought to us by MEO, the Music and Entertainment Organization, which is William Patterson University's music business organization, which is sort of what I just said. We have a great panel tonight. We have Carrie Sullivan, manager of, uh, she is the manager of Afro Roots musician and activist Rocky DeWooney. Carrie also promotes Afro Funky Club Nights in LA, is a photographer and an activist. We have David 5-1 Norman, a top tour manager and tour accountant. He's worked with Prince, Fall Out Boy, John Legend, Alicia Keys, and more. He also used to play drums in a Rush tribute band. 
and he is co-host of the Tour Manager 101 webinar podcast, which you can see on the YouTube channel. And we also have Chris Baumer, who's the Bauman founder and president of the Zenith Music Group, which includes venue ownership of a number of nice rooms in the Chi-Town market. He's been on our show before. He was quite an awesome guest. He's the treasurer of NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association, which exists because COVID is mean to us. We have, we have Ed Javaruski, the director of tour merchandise for Bravado, which is an arm of your favorite Universal Music Group. And before Bravado, Ed was with Live Nation and Clear Channel. Trivia question for later, what is Clear Channel now? What was it and what is it today? And finally, we have Nick Light, the SVP of Artist Development and Touring for RCA Records. One of Nick's bosses is Joe Riccatelli, a WPU grad and frequent guest on our show. And Nick's big brother, Rob Light, head of music at CAA, was once a student of Dr. Stavon Marconi. So correct. we are happy to have you all here today. And Marconi is going to begin with the third degree of our guest. Dr. Stavon, please take it to Bay. Sure. Well, this is a uh, quite a time to be talking about live. And every single one of you are involved with live more than uh, any other part of the industry. And of course, it's been unprecedented what has happened. But let's start with uh, Nick. As uh, part of um, artist development, which is really getting the artists together to get out there, right. what have you been doing in these last seven, eight months? We have made a total shift from from moving artists around the world, doing their promo tours, uh, in stores, live events, regular touring. We've shifted that to the digital world. Um, you know, our digital department was not prepared to handle the volume of requests for Alicia Keys, for Pink, for all our developing acts. So it just made sense for the touring department to step up and start producing these shows at home for the digital team. Mm-hmm. And how did you, how'd you get into it? I mean, how did you, you know, <laughs> ground to do that? It was, it was a very quick learning curve, I'll give you that. Uh, you know, because I, I'm, we're not digital people, but you, you know, you, you have to step up. And if you, if you don't, you'll find yourself really out of a job, you know, mm-hmm. so you got to adjust and adapt and, and get your hands dirty and learn. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, it, it is not a time where you can say, it's not my job. I don't do that. <laughs> that attitude will get you sent home faster than anything. You want me to do digital? Not a problem. I'll take care of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, uh, were you involved also with um, these drive-in movie we, we, we have a few. We've done a few of them uh, up in Ventura County. I mean, LA, it's far more strict to get it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're plotting a few other things that'll be similar to like a drive-through event, not just a parking standstill type of event, but we're working on that. Right. So has it been um, fruitful? I mean, have they been a success? So I, I think you know when you talk about artist development, it's not just teaching a band to tour or putting a band together. Now it's you still have to develop talent in in just a new way. So it's opened up a lot of new things like online concerts, uh, videos that you can buy in, or you can you can have a fan tip jar. You just got to learn to adapt and adjust, and it's it's been a fun learning curve. I have to admit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not disappointed and I'm not bored. I can tell you that. All right. All right. So Carrie, from the uh, manager standpoint, how has it been? A convincing okay. artists? Um, you know, what, what, what have you been doing as, as a manager and a psychologist and et cetera? <laughs> uh, wow. That's a good one. Um, yes. Uh, I would say like, you know, similar to what he was just saying, you know, it's it's been a sharp learning curve. You know, we had all of our tours planned for the spring tours, the summer tours, the fall tours, everything was shelved. Uh, and then, you know, obviously when it first began in uh, um, March, you know, people were trying to get away with uh, the concert on the iPhone or concert on the Zoom which, you know, as professionals, that just goes against every grain of our being to do Mm -hmm. stuff that's low end. 
but you know, we got away with that for a, a minute and, uh, and then we were just immediately like, no, we need to do this professionally with, uh, you know, proper sound camera, um, and all that. So we've, we've done, we've done that. So there was that learning curve. Exactly. You know, it's kind of like, uh, like what you were saying about, you know, there's, there's no, there's no, no in our business anyway. And, and I also come from the film business beforehand. So it's like, you just learn on your feet. And, uh, um, so I would say that, you know, we just quickly figured it out, whether it was live performances, uh, that we were asked to do. We, you know, Rocky is a big activist. So we do tons of stuff with the UN environmental program, um, Amazon watch, um, so we've done a lot of those types of events. We actually did do some online festivals that were proper festivals that were um, had taken their ticketed events and put them online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and then and then also have been doing some live radio, which has been fun. Uh, you know, so kind of get, when once we were able to, because uh, he was based in Ghana during that whole time, he got locked down there because his uh, airport closed down. So uh, they, they got through this much quicker than the United States did. And they're actually functioning again. They're about to have a huge concert in Accra on the first. Um, so they're back in action um, pretty much mm-hmm. in a lot of, not all the countries, but in a few of the countries. Right. And um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been definitely a big, big, quick, learning curve and, and, and getting, I would say getting to do, to make sure that you're still presenting your artist in the right way. Um, but in this new digital platform, but I mean, we're all constantly learning and we're learning from each other. Like Billie Eilish just did that, um, you know, knocked it out of the park with that live event a few days ago. And so now everybody's looking at that, like, how did she do that? You know? So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, you know, obviously we're all hoping to go back to, um, you know, some semblance of the concert world uh, for many reasons. <laughs> yeah. Most most of it being because it's our heart and soul. And, um, sure. you know, that's the primary, primary thing. So have you been able to monetize this? Um, to, you know, some things I would say, you know, some are, some are yes, some are no, as like, again, we do a lot of, uh, activism type work. So a lot of that is not necessarily monetized or you're just basically meeting your, your operating costs. Uh, and then some, like I said, festivals, there have been a few festivals that have still come through with, uh, as like they would, they were operating almost like a normal festival would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, as uh, a small venue person, let's see the scars. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of them, Stephen. And first of all, I just want to thank you guys for having me. Uh, you know, I always love your your and David's energy. It's pretty great. I really enjoyed my last time with you guys. And, um, you know, I, I will say that uh, nothing is going to be able to replace the live music experience, Right. And one of the decisions I think that we made early on in this is that uh, we could spend a lot of time trying to live stream, a lot of time trying to do drive-ins and things of that nature. And we chose instead to form NEVA, which is a national independent venue association. And instead of calling uh, agents and managers and musicians the last seven months, we've been calling congressmen and senators and trying to have them understand just how valuable the live music ecosystem, independent live music music ecosystem is to the United States. You know, the, the music uh, of the United States and the American music is one of the biggest exports to the world. And those musicians are incubated on our stages. You know, um, a lot of times the larger promoters, corporations don't always have a pulse on up and coming talent. Um, we are that pulse and we are the ones who incubate that talent. And so um, to be to be completely frank, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things you can try, but nothing is going to replace live music. And I'm very excited for the day we can do that again. Uh, it looks like, unfortunately, in this country, we're a long way off. Taiwan just did a 10,000 person concert a few weeks ago. Um, you know, they had masks on and things, but uh, they've also had zero cases in their country of 25 million in, you know, four or five months. So, mm-hmm. And so 
Uh, we are unfortunately in a very different world here in America, and it's going to unfortunately be like that, it seems, for a long time. Um, I wish I had a, a more positive outlook, but I, I think all, all it comes down to is nothing can replace a nice, hot, small music venue and a lot of sweaty people next to you and some stage diving and just really that energy with your friends. So we're, ho we're hoping to get that back. Did you have to close any uh, venues for good? Uh, I have not. Uh, there's a number of people who have. And unfortunately, in our industry, we're going to keep on looking at very, very deep cliffs um, coming very soon. There's going to be a lot of different closures if Congress does not ultimately do their job and pass Save Our Stages Act, which has been approved as, as part of the stimulus package out of the House as part of Mnuchin's White House rebuttal. Uh, the final piece is the Senate. We just got our 51st senator to sign on. So if it did go to the Senate floor, it would pass. So it's uh, it's just a matter of time. Um, but no, there's gonna be a lot of closures and it's, it's tragic. It's really very sad uh, how this right. is going out. Right. So Ed, merch and bravado. How has this year been? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a many layered animal to begin with that a lot of people really probably don't realize how much is involved, but uh, Back January, February, we were starting to gear up for our spring season, which now starts in January and February because artists don't really take time off anymore. Uh, so we had Aerosmith just finish up a residency in Vegas and we had Kiss out. Kiss had three more shows. And uh, prior to those shows, they canceled their meet and greet appearances at the shows. And that threw up a huge red flag. I said, if Kiss is canceling meet and greets, uh, something's going down so I uh we were gearing up uh Elton John was supposed to start March 26 so I had thousands of shirts in production so I actually called my screen printer I said hey if your guys are printing I said let's not put date backs on these shirts you can go ahead and print the fronts <laughs> so I was able to stop that we had Billie Eilish out uh she actually was probably one of the last tours to stop she was out you know well maybe the 18th of March or so uh, we had the Rolling Stones doing 17 stadiums starting in May. So we were full on into production on everything. So I said the first thing that we had to do was to figure out what we were going to do with all that active inventory and how we're going to transition that to e-commerce. So in the beginning, it was just we didn't know what was going on. We said, oh, this is going to be a couple of months. You know, we'll get over it. It'll be done. But then as the days went on and they closed the offices and uh then the company's focus went on to e-commerce and uh, transitioning whatever staff that I had in my department. There's like six of us in the touring department, aside from the production people. Uh, so we all just started helping out with e-commerce and getting them lists of all the Billie Eilish merch we had on the truck and all the leftover Kiss merch and transitioning that over to the e-com stores. And uh, that's pretty much where everyone's focus has been since. And then retail started to open and we've done very well with uh, Hot Topic and Kohl's and all those big chains. So luckily uh, it hasn't been as drastic an impact as it has on clubs and venues. So we've been able to transition very well to the e-commerce platform. Ah, very good. So Dave, Sitting home in Atlanta or, or what? <laughs> yep, I've been home since January. I finished up with uh, Earth, Wind & Fire in January. Then I was headed over to South America with Lana Del Rey. And we were doing all the Lollapaloozas. Then we were going to come back to the States. We were doing uh, both weekends of Coachella. Then we were doing Bonnaroo and a few other festivals. And then we were going to head back to Europe for the second leg of the European run. And all of that was like a domino. Everything just slowly started getting postponed and then canceled. And the day that I was supposed to leave for Los Angeles for the final week of rehearsals was the day they called and says, hey, we're going to, Lollapalooza just called and they're going to postpone. And I said, okay, well, we've got Coachella. I've been busy doing various podcasts and webinars and teaching at classes at a few other colleges. So I'd like to learn from everyone. So trying to keep active. To, for all of you on our panel, uh, it sounds like you're optimistic. Is that true? You have to be optimistic. I mean, if you, you stare out into the abyss and realize we're not going to tour till late 2021, if you don't stay optimistic and creative, it, 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 you'll just slip into a little bit of despair, I think. It's, yeah. 
you got to keep innovating and coming up with something new. You have to. Yeah, I can say that, you know, since we represent so many large artists, or I deal with a lot, most of the bigger artists since I've been with the company for 15 years. So, you know, I don't see the Rolling Stones doing a stadium with 50,000 people anytime soon. But a lot of the smaller bands, you know, they're going to have to find some outlet to play. And we're, we're hopeful that might be next summer, something might happen. Uh, Elton just rescheduled his next leg of his farewell tour for January of 2022. Uh, but that's Elton, you know, he can do that whenever he wants to, you know. So. Right. Now, Dr. Fauci said he was um, pretty much um, enthusiastic about something in terms of a vaccine late January. Uh, and since we've been this far already, can you believe it? You know, this weekend it's going to be November already. Uh, January really isn't that far away. And if that happens and distribution is good and we could see, you know, pretty good inoculation by March, April, I think that would um, certainly get everybody's hopes and attention up that um, we can get back to a new normal, but at least somewhat of a normal. I, I, I think when you actually see tickets selling, we're, then you'll know we're getting back to normal. I mean, from the label side, we see, yeah, we've got this tour plan, we've got dates books, we've got dates held, but tickets aren't on sale yet. Till they go on sale, then we'll make the big shift that we're getting back. Mm. I mean, I hate to say it in somewhat a political statement, but you know, you look at how we've bailed out the airline industry twice. Twice we've bailed them out. Entertainment doing one show at Madison Square Garden has a ripple effect of how many people do we employ? Probably 400 on the night at Madison Square Garden. Every restaurant, every parking, I mean, the ripple effect from one major show is, is 5,000 jobs. Mm -hmm. Times out across the entire country, you know, everything else seems to be opening first before they allow live entertainment back. And that's, that's a little frustrating. Yeah, I, I would also add, Nick, it's um, it's amazing to me how you can get on a, a plane with 300 people, you know, sitting right next to you, yeah. uh, but you can't go into a venue right now, you know, with 300 people right next to you. And so, you know, there's unfortunately a lot of um, disparity in how this has all gone down. And I, I was just going to say, Stephen, that, you know, one of the beauties, I think, of this tornado landing on our industry uh, is that we are very, we've got a lot of perseverance. You know, we are very scrappy in this industry and so um, and innovative. And so that's definitely been um, to our advantage to stay alive, I'd say, and to be innovative um, during these times. But, you know, I, I think all the studies and we've been watching this very closely, um, a lot of it is going to tie to the vaccine. Uh, it's going to tie to, as Nick said, are people really going to buy tickets, though, because 50 percent of Americans are saying, they still don't trust it, right? They're still gonna be scared. So I think we're looking at a much longer long tail, right? In terms of um, people actually getting to that level where they could go out and we're gonna start filling up again. I'm, I'm expecting 2022, uh, late 2022, before we hit 2019 revenue again. At least that's how I'm calculating things. But I do think there is going to be a boom, uh, kind of like at the end of World War II, uh, there's gonna be a very big boom with concerts and music and people going out and, you know, having a lot of fun. There's probably gonna be a lot of babies made too, you know, once we get out of this um, and a lot of concerts gone to, and, uh, but it's, it, we're probably looking at a little bit of a longer tail here. It'll start in spring 2021, but uh, really probably 2022 we're, we're looking at at this point. Right, do you think that, um, well, what's the reason for the entertainment business not having a strong lobbying uh, power? I mean, you know, we know that uh, Hillary from RIAA, Hillary, what was her name? Rosen. Rosen. Yeah, she was a big uh, uh, sort of a um, lobbyist and so on. But what do you think the reason is why we're being just really, I mean, we realize that, yes, this is, the issue is twofold. One is the size of the venues and the people getting together. And I think the second is that it's a entertainment business. It's not something that needed. So it's got that um, 
Like I always I think that needed. it's not needed. I think it's needed more than anything. I mean, yes, but, but you just know, like, I, just, I, just I, like, I've always said listening to music, listening to a record is a solo project. You listen on your headphones, you listen sure. in a car. Going to a concert is social. It's that mm-hmm. time you get together with your friends. It's that bonding moment with your buddies. I, I can't see how that's not crucial. Yeah, and I would say, Stephen, too, um, that, you know, from a, from just a, I think people, there's a naivety first on to the economic stimulus that uh, venues bring, you know, again, to Nick's point, for every, we did a study in Chicago, for every dollar spent on a ticket in Chicago, $12 in economic stimulus or value is created with parking garages and bars and restaurants near the venues and going to dinner beforehand and mm-hmm. you name it, right? Um so there's a naivety. So there's been an education factor to educate because this is the first time we've ever asked for anything, right? We've always just kind of done our own thing and never needed government help. We just mind our own business, but the government shut us down this time, right? So uh, it's a little bit of a different world. Um, so I think that, and then also organization. I also think there's a naivety that venue owners and musicians are okay. Like we've got all the money in the world. We're okay. We were living this great you know, lifestyle before and uh, obviously we're especially with our venues. We're just a small business like anybody else, and um, it's been it's taken a while to educate legislators on that in the public. Well, I've I agree with you, and I've always said that uh, another factor is that we play, and I've always been a an advocate for this for musicians. Not to say that I play guitar or I play drums, but I'm a guitarist or I'm a drummer or whatever, because the word play automatically psychologically tells people, well, they just, you know, my my cousin plays or my son plays too. And play is a terrible word for all of this because it isn't, it's a livelihood. Yeah. And it's much more than playing. Anybody who's just a player isn't in this business very long. Uh, so that's always another aspect of, of uh, I think the way we're looked at in the entertainment business. I, I think um, one of our students, uh, Jade, has a really good question that can apply differently to Carrie and to Chris and to Dave51. Uh, Jade, why don't you unmute yourself if you can, if you can and uh, get it out? Yeah, I was wondering when bands are able to go out and play again, are they going to be able to afford insurance? Like, has that gone drastically up to the point where bands won't be able to afford it if they would even be liable? Jade, what a great question. Um, so I'm actually in charge of the insurance committee at Neva, which is very interesting because it's the first time uh, in our in our industry's history, right, that 3,000 music venues now have been able to come together and negotiate with insurance providers. And a lot of us have gotten dropped because different states, different cities have different rules. Uh, there's no backstop liability protection for coronavirus like they did with terrorism uh, after 9-11. Um, that was something that they, uh, the Congress gave to um, insurance companies. So that doesn't exist yet. So I think to answer your question, there is going to be uh, insurance products at some point to backstop the venues and the musicians. And the way that it works is that when, you know, Carrie's musicians come through uh, or Dave's musicians come through, they usually require us to have insurance. And then we have to additionally insure uh, those musicians and their equipment and things of that nature. And so there, there's kind of a we're, we're kind of the engine on the insurance side and, and maybe Carrie and David, you guys can speak to your side on insurance as well, but uh, we're working on products and we might end up even doing our own insurance, which is something we've learned. We can become our own insurance company. We pay, you know, probably a hundred million dollars a year in premiums. And that's something we're really looking at uh, because we're not sure if we're going to be insurable uh, coming out of this, but we need it for our licenses and things. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. I personally haven't found, speaking with different artists and different management firms, anything insurance-wise, what I'm hearing from a lot of artists is who's going to be liable if someone does get sick from coming to a show. Is it going to be the agent? Is it going to be management? Is it going to be the band? Is it going to be the artist? Is it going to be the venue? So what I've been doing, speaking with several other tour accountants, is we're putting in our tour budgets now, traveling with uh, COVID compliant officer. So if you have an A party, B party, C party, we're having a COVID compliant officer travel with each of those parties. And like we do with security, we're going to have a COVID compliance officer who's venue related to work with the venues, uh, 
COVID person also, to try to eliminate some of those uh, liability issues that may or may not come up. So that's the only thing I've really seen is just more people are just kind of worried about who's going to be liable if someone gets ill from going to some of these shows. Well, that, let me just jump in here. And this is obviously pretty controversial, but the vaccine companies are not liable. They have complete immunity. So I'm just questioning why do they have immunity and the venues do not? Mm -hmm. Great question. <laughs> Great question. Why? That's politics. <laughs> That's big pharma. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. The one thing I've learned is politics really really run the world, you know, and, and again, I, I was a very isolationist before this, uh, just minding my own business, took care of my family, took care of my businesses. But man, these politicians, they, they truly run everything. They can shut you down, they can make or break you. And uh, that's something too, that we're very cognizant of now and, and something that going into the future, we're going to make sure we never get in this position again. You know, we never are at the bottom trying to go uh, beg for things or anything. We're going to really try to keep a position of power uh, when it comes to politics and lobbying and things of that nature. Nick, what about from your perspective? Because we've had Harlan Fry on before, who does what you do for Atlantic yeah. Records. And um, one thing that he said that he does with us, I'm sorry, with, with bands, is he will look at their budgets and he'll go over them and make sure that they're copacetic because he as a label doesn't want to have to front extra, you know, an extra five, 10, whatever, 25,000 if they don't need to. Is that something that you're doing as well? And are you up to date with kind of like what Dave 5-1 said about like maybe uh, COVID compliance officers and things like that. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the managers that I deal with that don't know me that well, I mean, they know my brother, but I was a tour manager for a long time. So when you send in these budgets, I know where it's padded. I know where the money is hidden. I know where all of it's hidden because I used to be the guy hiding it. Um, I do talk to a lot of my managers. If you are fair and honest with me, I will be fair and honest with you. I'm not out to screw anybody. I'm not out to just cut and burn a band to, to pennies that doesn't that doesn't do anything you've you've got to give them the, uh, the right amount of money to deliver a proper tour to get the best value out of it so we can push the most records so yes i do go through all the budgets but i'm not an evil hatchet man it, it, it's not practical and it's not the right way to to develop talent mm -hmm. but but i will say i do expect a manager to be fair and honest if you get caught stealing or you get caught lying that's a whole different ballgame. Since you guys brought up uh, politics, I have a question for Ed, actually. And I thought of this one uh, a, a couple weeks ago, actually. We were, at this point, five days from the election. And we've seen from both uh, Biden and the Trump campaign, everything from flags to masks to fly swatters. Um, for you, Ed, is there a piece of merch that has stood out most for you that maybe uh, you guys at Bravado have been able to learn from? And can you then, can you explain to everybody that merch is more than just hoodies and, and hats? Well, that's a pretty deep question, but um, Bravado did start a mask program early on um, with the um, net proceeds going to Music Cares. So they were trying to help out right from the start, which was really good. Um, all of our artists got on board and um, they were promoting it. And I believe that went very well. And I think we're still selling a bunch of them. Um, much, much more than that. I mean, I know with the masks, they made them a little better than we first started. Um, <laughs> other than that, I'm not sure. Um, anything but have, really... but have, you, have you seen anything that maybe the campaigns are doing that you're like, oh, wow, that's a brilliant idea when it comes to merch? Well, I thought the fly swatter was ingenious. <laughs> and it was, can you guys work that quick? Because the fly swatter actually came out like the next day. The next day, sure. You do, we, could do any, we can do anything within 12 hours. You just take a pre-order and see how it goes, and then we can make it and get it out there. Um, but, I mean, the main thing is, is to get our artists involved. If our artists get involved and they put it on their social media and start pushing something, and it just especially if it's something political, it, it, it can have huge impacts. Um, Alexandra, Ed, had a uh, sort of a comment and a question relating to Billie Eilish and the merch shirts. Alexandra, do you want to uh, bring up what you were saying in the chat? Yeah, um, I just wanted to comment that, like, I don't know who designs 
the actual merch, but I know that Billie Eilish had like all her tour dates and then she slapped her uh, live stream date on top of it. And I thought that was ingenious, um, not just from like um, a production standpoint where if they're already made, now what, right? But like also just memorable. Like <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, COVID, right, you know? Yeah, I think she did something that early on with that. We uh, we took all the tour shirts that we had printed and I forget what we put on it, but I think uh, it, it depends artist to artist. It varies their amount of involvement, but she is very involved and she comes up with those quick things like that. You know, some of our stuff will come up. Our creative department will do it, but we do have like Ariana and Lady Gaga, even some of our artists that are really involved on it. They really, really help their sales and, and we, put their vision directly on it and it saves a lot of time, you know, rather than our team coming up with something and then somebody, their boss not liking it. And then by the time it gets to the artist, you might lose a week, you know, but if we get something directly from the artist and are able to act on it within 24 hours, it just has a huge impact and it's very attuned to their fans. Mm -hmm. And who regulates pricing? Would that be the artist or? Um, it's, it's, it's kind of, I wouldn't say industry standards, but a lot of our artists have like higher quality stuff. So, which is why some of the prices have gone up in the last several years, you know, they just don't want to play back black t-shirt. They want to have a fashion, you know, even Billy, you know, all of her shorts and everything she wears on stage, we have to try to model it as close as possible. And unfortunately that'll get transferred to the customer, but it's really good quality stuff and her fans don't mind paying it. Yeah, I spent way more than I should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't get a hoodie for 45 bucks from most of our artists. They're like 85 or 90, where some of the smaller punk rock bands will sell a hoodie for 25 bucks. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's just changed a lot. It's become a lot more fashion forward. Cool, thank you. Here's a question. I was in a class the other day and we were talking about Opening band versus headliner band and uh, price of merch. Should the, is it all right ever for the opening band to undercut and maybe sell, you mentioned $85 hoodies. Is it okay for the opening band to sell hoodies for 45 instead of 85? Well, I, I think that depends on the level, you know, like when you're in the clubs, sure. You let the other band set up in a little merch table next to yours. But when you're in a, in a big, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 50,000 seat, stadium it's all the same you want a shirt it's 45 bucks you want a hoodie it's 85 bucks it's just it's a lot easier for the staff and the venue people just to to go with it you know on a smaller level yeah a lot of egos come in where bands will say oh you have to price match us you have to price match us but i was always under the guys when i was with roadrunner and blue grape merchandise back in the day we would you know let the bands opening bands sell what they want you know because they're not making as much as typo negative made for headlining you know so that's the only way they're making money so if they can sell an extra shirt or two for a little bit less then more power to them does the uh opening act have to get permission from the headliner to sell merch um not permission but we'll, we'll, we'll do um item limits you know they'll maybe three shirts and a couple of hats or something you know we'll limit the amount of items that they can carry just because the amount of space available and obviously you want the headliner to have more space to display their products yeah and i was i was speaking more of course of the money taking the money out of the pocket uh, of the uh artists because the of, of the headliner because the audience only has x amount to spend yeah i've never heard of anyone not letting an opening band sell merch <laughs> which brings me to chris when we're talking about merch uh because chris as a venue owner with your venues do you guys take a cut of the merch at the size of your venues are we do. We do. So that's part of the negotiated contract. Um, and the, the percentages will vary, but it's pretty standard. Um, the percentage that we'll take every show and we close out with Ed at the end of the night and yeah. they show us their, their books. And most of the time they're very professional and honest. And we, uh, you know, we just take our cut and everyone wins, you know, and that's the idea. And usually do, we usually don't take on CDs though. I will say um, we usually part of our contracts are uh, we will take on merch but on CDs, we usually let the artists keep 100% of any sort of CDs or album or vinyl type sales. Yeah, you guys, you guys aren't Madison Square Garden. <laughs> what do how, they take? Different... I'm curious. Now I'm curious. What, do, what does Madison Square Garden take when you? Oh, uh, I don't. I, you know, they take some. 
<laughs> is it above 30? Is it at least 30, Ed? No. no. I don't think now we're getting juicy. Off the record. Oh, I, yeah, Dave, Dave uh, Philp and I can speak out of turn. And we've heard that it's 40. No, that they've come they've come down from that. Again, I work with the larger artists with really good booking agents and they negotiate decent rates for our merch way boy. It used to be 40%, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago at the garden for everything, no matter who you are. I just looked up my notes and the last show I did at the garden, it was 30% and the garden sold. So Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, is that Dave? I don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hear it from me. No, nobody's saying anything. I have a question for Carrie. Carrie, because you've been involved in the international scene for a while because your main artist, Rocky, is from Ghana. So how did you get involved in the, in the I guess we call it the Ghanaian music scene? Was that how I would say it? And how, you straddle, how have you been able to straddle Africa and L.A.? How did I get into, how did we, I, well, I started working with Rocky and obviously Rocky's based between Ghana and the United States. So it was a natural progression to be involved in the scene there as well. But I did kind of jump around and do other stuff there. Even before music, I did a lot of media, television. And uh, like when the, when they're, um, when they were first going, um, having privatizing to, like the television stations and stuff like that. Cause prior to that, maybe in the uh, late nineties, they were still, uh, it was just run by the government. So, but now it's completely all the media, the radio and TV and everything is privatized. So, um, you know, it's definitely an interesting scene kind of working through the both of it. Like I was saying earlier, you know, they're, they're already back to business in Uganda and Tanzania and now, in, in Ghana. Um, but you know, it's, it's very interesting because I've, we've done everything from producing our own events and festivals to then also go, you know, per performing on other people's events and festivals. Um, so uh, it's been, it's been definitely a, a learning curve almost always. And, um, uh, but you know, it's never a dull moment. That is for sure. Okay, and you worked for KCRW for a while too. Can you explain to um, our audience the importance of, of KCRW? Because a lot of them are East Coast people, so they don't probably know it. Um, well, KCRW is like the biggest national public radio station. Well, I think, I guess maybe it's top three um, NPR station in, oh, sorry, somebody's dropping something off for me. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, top three NPR station. It's kind of one of those stations that's very cutting edge and, and people look to it to break a lot of artists. They have uh, countless artists have gotten their first exposure on KCRW on their various programs, especially Morning Becomes Eclectic. I'm actually just, uh, Rocky's dropping a new EP tomorrow. So I'm literally emailing with uh, Ann Litt, who's the program director of KCRW right now. Um, you know, they're, they're just one of those stations like KEXP in Seattle that's extremely important. People look to it not only for music, but film and news and, and entertainment um, insight uh, into Hollywood because obviously being based in Los Angeles. And your relationship with, with Rocky, it looks like you guys are more than just manager client. It seems like you're business partners just from reading about the way you work is is that is that true? You're more it's more of a partnership than just uh, yeah yeah because we have our that. own we have our own record label together as well. It's just a small imprint called Aquarian Records. So we're kind of a, a mom and pop in terms of doing all of it from producing events to running a miniature record label to to uh, to doing to going on road. Uh, producing videos. Like I said, we're in the middle of an EP right now. So I've got a million things going on from making me, you know, making multiple music videos in different countries at the same time to dealing with uh, um, all the digital content creators that are also now, of course, because of the lockdowns, they're all based in different countries too. Uh, so time zones and and all that. So it's definitely, um, definitely interesting. I like that word. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Uh, scrappy, definitely. You got to be scrappy <laughs> to be in this business. 
Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and, and Chris, let me go back to you for a second, because something was announced yesterday uh, in terms of venues. Mark Geiger, who used to be the head of music at uh, WOE, William Morris Endeavor, announced a fund called Save Lives, which is supposed to offer a lifeline to struggling venues in which his company would own 51% of the venues. I'm sure you read this. What are your thoughts about it? And are they still independent venues if they're owned 51% by someone else? You guys got great questions. This is, this is <laughs> awesome. Um, so they're not, uh, I don't think, right? That's my opinion. Um, someone else owns 51% and there's multiple and that one group owns a lot of them. I'm not so sure you can say they're quote unquote independent. If it was 49%, yeah, right. Um, that's just my opinion. And, you know, this has been a very interesting concept that we've talked a lot uh, internally at Neva about just because it's, um, you know, everyone has different business decisions to make, right? Um, that's all it comes down to. Everyone has different municipalities with different rules, different states with different rules, different uh, finances, different, different, um, you know, our balance sheets before we came into this. And so everyone has their own decisions to make. Um, one of the beauties of independent music is the uh, ability to make your own decisions. And unfortunately, I've seen this with, and we see this with larger corporations, right? Like those decisions come from, instead of making the decisions in Chicago, the decisions come from Los Angeles. The decisions come from New York. Decisions come from another place. And so I do think there's uh, a value to creating a financial model to connect independent music and to capitalize independent music venues. Uh, taking 51% though um, may put that independence at risk. So I think it's yet to be seen, kind of a winded political, I'm, see, I'm getting good at politics, right? I just kind of, <laughs> I just dance around the, the answer. It sounds like though, and I brought this up to Marconi earlier, that this could be a model where they turn venues into like a live nation, you know, instead of buying out all the promoters are going to buy out yeah. or all the venues and create these, you know, regional powerhouses. Well, and look, I mean, this is the first time in our, our country's history that all of the independent music venues have had to come together, right. And had to come together to fight for our survival. Um, right now there are only really two very, very large corporations that are already rolled up. Um, and we do have things in this country that involve antitrust, right, issues, and it involve competition. Um, and uh, right now, there's a good yin and the yang with independent venues, and, and we've always had to, you know, fight um, for our independence. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but I, I do think there are going to be more Mark Geigers uh, out there, and I, I do think it's going to be very interesting to see, and there's a lot of opportunity uh, to create a financial model capitalization for independent music venues. So I'm excited about it. 51% uh, though, again, I'm not sure. It'd be nice if it was 49. <laughs> <laughs> Has that, anybody else have any comment on that? The silence is deafening. Well, here, here's my question, but he did use the word opportunity. So if, if we go a little bit uh, more smiley than, than, than dark and we head toward the light, this will end, oh, speaking of Nick Light, but this will end, and I actually heard your brother, Nick, saying in an interview recently, and Mark Geiger had said, uh, right as he was leaving WME, they were thinking 2022 as well. So let's say we're a year plus away from now, and this is for all you guys. Um, the people who were, who were the David Five Ones who have been making a living doing this for a very long time, and David, maybe you could be the first to answer, you guys have been hanging out now for seven months. How much longer can you hang on until you need to go into a different line of work? And then that said, when we start booking and when we start going on the road late 2021 in a bigger way, early 2022, is there a lot more opportunity for those college kids who are graduating next December, a year from now, for example? And you may all answer this question. Um, I Since you pointed to me first, I can answer. Um, I was, I think that I've been one of the lucky ones because, you know, I'm an older guy. So having an accounting background has helped me. Uh, you know, I've always lived way below my means and I've always, uh, 
I live try to live relatively debt free, so I had quite a bit of savings, and I've barely tapped into it. But I've been on un- un- unemployment since March or April, and you know that's helped out. And then you know I did get like the Music Hairs, the Live Nation grants, some of those things to kind of help out also. But I do the second part of your question is. When we go back out, I think it's it may be a mad dash, but I think that a lot of artists, because they haven't had any income or any revenue from being off the road for a year, possibly two, that they're going to want to probably tighten their belts when they first go out. And by tightening their belts, I think that the productions aren't going to be as large. They're not going to take out as many trucks and buses. I think that they're going to try to hire people who do double duties, you know, like tour manager slash front of house engineer, tour manager slash accountant. But for the college students, I think right now is a great time to find a mentor, you know, to speak to someone like Nick or, you know, watch tour manager 101, you know, the webinar or the Jen Kellogg webinar, because all of those things are things that you could be learning right now. And one of the best things that I could say is definitely find a mentor because this is the time when everyone's off the road that for us you know we want to share information we want to give back and you know when we go back out we might want to have a young person because you know me as an older person i didn't know anything about social media until all of this came about you know now i have an instagram so i feel like i'm part of the world now but you know feel free to reach out to any of us because we're a wealth of information and we also want to learn from you. So that's just my two cents. I will say the road skills that David has and the road skills that we've all learned, some of the stuff you can tell somebody, you can try and teach them in a classroom, but till you're on your fifth load in after your 20 hour bus ride, the only way to learn this stuff is by doing it. So I don't think young college kids are going to come out and take the jobs of the seasoned pros. You have to, you got to put your, your time in. It's not something that you're just going to pick up because you read it in a book. You, you got to get out there. You got to, you got to hump and you got to, you got to put the work in. And, and honestly, the only way to learn it is being there and getting your hands dirty. So for the people now listening to, to exactly what you just said, Nick, what what can they do now? They can just best they can do is talk, mentor, listen, learn, and then as soon as they can do something on their own. I think finding a mentor will be spectacular. Listen, when this is over, I'll gladly give you my email, and and you can give it to everybody on this 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 chat right now. I, I'm more than happy to talk to anybody and help any way I can, because the next generation that comes up, these guys could be my boss next. It's, it's not uncommon. I mean, you know, if the older older crew of guys doesn't train the next team, that's foolish. It's well, an I, I want to also reiterate, Nick, I think I think you're hitting some great points. And I think, too, it's just, uh, you know, if you got if you guys who are in college right now and you're learning from these wonderful professors and you're getting all this great information, if you can just go shadow somebody, it's just, you know, be a, a fly on a wall, but provide value right now. I mean, that's really how you securitize work in the future, right? And, you know, for instance, if you're working for me and you're providing value, I'm like, man, I, I can't even think about when you weren't here because my life was crazier, right? Um, not only are you going to learn, but you're also going to really solidify really great experience and possibly a job, you know, for forever. So I, that's, I think that's something that you can do now, even um, if different companies are meeting, you know, my staff meets we're not meeting um, in the city anymore, but we have a recording studio and it's been much more laid back, but we're still meeting, you know, we're still getting together. We're still getting stuff done. Um, so I think it's a great point. Uh, I, I, I just want to give one more example because we have a ton of interns at Sony. I'm very anal. So every tour is in a folder on my desk. I'm at my desk at seven 30, like clockwork. And I tell the interns, take the folder home, Make your notes, 7.30, we can sit and talk about any tour you want to talk about. They're all right there. None of them, none have taken a folder home, have looked through it, have gone through the notes, have come in at 7.30 and say, all right, Nick, I got 16 questions about the Billie Eilish tour. Zero. So if you get a chance, if somebody's going to give you their email, if somebody's going to offer their time, use it. 
it's a free pass, man. You've got some heavy hitters here that are willing to help. Take advantage of that. If you don't, it's just foolish. Because somebody's going to take advantage of it. I can promise you that. Yeah, absolutely. On on our end, I would say, you know, we're we're a big company, so we have a lot of different layers. Like I alluded to earlier, we have, you know, like say for the, the Rolling Stones, we have two semis out there. That's <clears throat> four drivers, five drivers. We have our own custom trailers that we sell out of outside. You know, that's another six people. So there's tons of people out of work right now, but there's ton, There's going to be some of those people who aren't going to come back to work. All of my road guys, they're not umg employees so they're all struggling and hopefully they'll all come back but a lot of them won't be able to last through this so there'll be there will be openings and you know like i said i'm, I'm available too if you guys want to learn more about what we do and how we do it you know when shows come back up again if you're around and you want to see what a full day doing merch looks like and come on out and check it out it's exhausting it is <laughs> not all it's not all glamour and catering no no it's not <laughs> but i but i will say and i'm sure everybody on this panel can agree the greatest time in the world for me was always 6 p.m to 8 p.m from the moment the doors just start to open till the band hits the stage could be the greatest two hours of my entire day yes Carrie, do you have anything uh, that you'd like to add? Because we actually are hitting the wall of time. So, Carrie, would you like to kind of add sort of a final word here? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I just agree with everybody, everything everybody said. You know, if, if the only way to learn this is by asking the questions, paying attention, and actually doing it. You know, so however we can be of service to help these uh, young people and, you know, I'm more of kind of more the independent world reggae side of this whole equation. So maybe um, I would, I don't know if that's alternative or more independent or something like that. So if anybody's interested in that side of the world and, you know, touring in Africa and touring in the Caribbean, and um, I'm happy to, to help with my two cents on, on any of those types of questions. Well, this has been great, Marconi. Yes. I'm happy that Carrie and all of our guests gave us their two cents tonight. So am I. Yes. So we need to thank our audience and we need to thank Carrie Sullivan, Dave51Norman. We need to thank Chris Bauman and Ed Javruski. I rolled the R because Ed, you deserve it. And to Nicholas Light. We want to thank you all. Can we all give some clapping, some Zoom claps for them? Ooh. Ooh, that's right yeah that's that's great so uh, we do appreciate that you guys all were able to do this right dr esteban yes we do that's right so uh those who are listening hang uh hang out because you're going to have a little bit more networking time and for those on the radio at the end of every music biz one-on-one and more show what do we say dr esteban alvita stain that's right. We say adios. At the count of three, Dr. Esteban, we say one, two, three. Adios. I've traveled way too far to lose myself. I've been through hell and back. I'm back. I battle tainted minds, misconceptions of my kind. Leave them guessing all the time. Who I am, who I am. Sisters on me, keep our composure, you'll see, ready like soldiers. Smile like you have baby of the mustang. What they really see is not a form, but let